Happy Friday, everybody. It is Friday, August 26th, 2022. This is the Second Half Podcast. I'm Tom Powell, and as always, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week and margaritas are in order. And if you need a reason to celebrate with margaritas this weekend, just say you're doing so because it was Renee Powell's birthday this week. That's right, my wife, Renee Powell, celebrated her birthday this Thursday, August 25th. She is, once again, 29. Granted, it is the 18th year in a row she has been 29, but ask her and she will tell you that she is 29 years old. Never mind the fact that as my age continues to climb, Uh, The more often she tells people that she's 29, the more people are going to look at me as the weird old dude with the much, 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 much younger wife. So, So you're 50? Yes, sir. And your wife is 29? Uh, No, sir. But your, your, your wife said she was 29. Uh, Yes, sir. So, so why did she say she's 29 and you say she's not 29? Well, you see, she's, she's a lovely woman. And I'll love her to death. I'd walk through a burning building for her. Uh, but she, she lies. Like, a lot. Especially when it comes to her age. And um, uh, if she tells you she's any given age, you, you, you can't trust that. You, you need to go to the people who know her. Uh, she's not 29. O- okay, so then how old is she? Well, she she's 29. But you, but you just said that she wasn't 29. Yes, I understand that, but for legal purposes and safety reasons, if I don't say she's 29, uh, things will go sideways rapidly. So she's 29. But you need to keep in mind that she's been 29 for 18 straight years. Oh, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Good, good. So then just let it go for both of our sakes. Sure thing, boss, sure thing. So if you know Renee Powell, you follow her on any of the social media sites, Instagram, Facebook, tickety-tock. She's not on Twitter. She doesn't do the Snapchat thing. Go find her. Wish her a happy birthday. Deluge her with a happy belated birthday. And then go get yourself a pitcher of margaritas in her honor. All right, before we get into the stories of the week, let's go ahead and do the normal housekeeping that I do at the beginning of all of these episodes for the people that are new to the podcast. So, to the newbies, if this is your first time finding me, this is your first time listening to this podcast, a couple of things you need to know. One, this is an amateur podcast. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. All I know is people said, talk into the microphone and tell your opinions on things, and I did. And then all of you showed up. But I'm literally doing this in a home office. I got a fan in the window. I got two dogs sitting outside the door. You're going to hear some background noise. It's not some professionally created, polished, and finished product. It's not meant to be. So just kind of roll with it if you hear some background noise. You hear me fuck up and tell you we're not going back and doing this over again. Just roll with it. Okay? Number two, if you're finding me for the first time. Chances are you don't know about my website. So if you have a minute, I would greatly appreciate it if you swung by oldhippymedia.com. That's old hippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. That's my company. There you're going to find anything else you want to know about me, like uh, links to my various social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Clapper, YouTube. Hell, I think even LinkedIn is in there. Snapchat, all of that. You're going to find my blog. Yes, I do have a blog. It's on my website. I give you my opinion in written word as well. You're going to find a link to my e-commerce store. Yes, I have merch. T-shirts and aprons and phone cases and hoodies and uh, Christmas ornaments and coasters and uh, wine tumblers and you fucking name it, we got it. Over 400 items to choose from. You'll find a link on where you can buy my first two books. Yes, I write books too. 
I have two self-published books so far, and they are entitled A Grateful Life, The Life Story of a Husband, Father, and Taco-Loving Deadhead, and Dearest Renee, Letters from the Coronavirus War of 2020, uh, both of which are available in paperback or ebook formats. You're going to find a link on where you can book me on Cameo. That's right. I do video shout-outs on Cameo. You want to tell somebody uh, happy birthday, congratulations on the promotion, or just let them know that their football team sucks, I can do that for you over on Cameo. And, of course, as always, you're going to find a link on where you can uh, subscribe to my Patreon subscription service. If you like what you hear here, I do bonus podcast episodes every other week on Patreon. The cost for that, under 5 bucks a month. It's $4.20 a month. If you know, you know. So once again, all of that can be found over at oldhippymedia.com. Listen to the rest of this, then head over to that website. I appreciate it. Now we're going to stop pimping myself, uh, and we're going to get into the news stories because I don't like to turn my podcast into one big-ass commercial. And let's start with some general takeaways and some positive takeaways from this week's primary and special elections. As you know, we are steamrolling towards the midterms. And as we do, you're going to see more and more content on social media from me and uh, hear more and more on this podcast about the upcoming elections. We're wrapping up the primary season now, and we're just a couple of months away now from the election uh, itself, so things are going to start getting hot and heavy moving forward. I now read to you from Politico. It would have been an easy write-off to take Nebraska's win as a, a, a fluke after Democrats ran better than expected in a House race there last month. They didn't win the seat, but coming as close as they did is a moral victory in Nebraska. But once again, you can just look at that by, in and of itself and say, by itself, in, in, in a bubble and say, well, you know, write it off. It's a fluke. But then came Minnesota, where Democrats again beat expectations. And people started to look around going, wait a minute. Hang on now. We're supposed to have a red wave. Why are Democrats doing better than they were supposed to? They should be getting crushed in these races. We even start to see people like Mitch McConnell and Sean Hannity publicly display doubts about the impending red wave, especially when it comes to the Senate. And then came Tuesday at New York. And the dam broke. As election results from a Hudson Valley special election filtered in on Tuesday, one Republican strategist texted, Well, shit. See, it would have been a victory for Democrats if they'd even kept it close. Instead, Democrat Pat Ryan beat Republican Mark Molinaro in a district that Joe Biden narrowly won in 2020, but would have appeared to have favored Republicans in a normal midterm climate. Pat Ryan won that special election with 51.1% of the vote. Overall, on the last major primary night of the year, the winds appeared to be shifting in Democrats' favor. It can be tempting to read too much into special elections. They're not always predictive of results in the fall, and Republicans this year have overperformed in some places, like in June when the GOP won a South Texas House seat that had been held by Democrat for years. But as I keep telling you, that was before Roe v. Wade shook the political landscape. Ever since, it's been nothing but one sign after another that Democrats, while still widely expected to lose the House in November, might not be in for the all-out drubbing they once predicted and will probably retain, if not gain, seats in the Senate. 
The New York race to succeed Democrat Antonio Delgado in a New York House district is likely a better indicator than the House races in Minnesota or Nebraska. For one thing, it's the most current data we have. But more than that, it's a competitive district where both parties spent real money and tested their general election messaging. Abortion for Democrats, the economy for Republicans. It was about as close to a November test run as we're going to get. Quote, this is a Republican versus a Democrat. They're not crazy. No one's off the wall, said Hank Scheinkoff, a longtime Democratic strategist based in New York. Quote, that's why it's a good test. And if it was a test, Democrats passed and then some. Quote, if Pat Ryan outright wins or even comes within five points of beating Molinaro, all projections of a red wave are completely overblown, said New York-based Democratic strategist John Rennish, a former aide to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Quote, this race is really a canary in the coal mine. And now we have the results. The Democrat wound up winning that seat. And Republicans right now are going, well, shit. Don't get me wrong. They are still gaining ground in House races. They could very well take the House. Nancy Pelosi could be out of her speakership. We could be looking at Speaker uh, McCarthy. Then again, they might not. But the Senate... The Senate is really not looking good for them. Really not looking good for them. Sorry, I just got a quick message on my computer. See, this is the kind of unrehearsed, uh, unscripted shit that we got to talk about. Just had to uh, send that back real quick. My apologies. Now listen, that's not to say that Trumpers do not still have a hold in the more extreme district. We can see that by alleged child sex trafficker Matt Gates winning his district's primary for his re-election, despite the investigations into his political or potential criminal behavior. Elsewhere in primary news, uh, especially down in Florida, uh, we are now going to see Val Demings a well-known figure in the Democratic Party, face off against Marco Rubio, which could bring us one of a few Republican Senate seats to get flipped. And former Florida Governor Charlie Crist won his Democratic primary to challenge Ron DeSantis for the governor's mansion once again. I'd like to talk to you briefly about those Senate seats. So the blue seats that are up, that are safe, Hawaii, California, Oregon, Washington, uh, Illinois, New York, Vermont, uh, Connecticut, Maryland, uh, New Hampshire. These are fair to Midland safe. Colorado, Arizona is even still fairly safe. But there are some issues with some red states out there. Ron Johnson's in trouble in Wisconsin. Marco Rubio's in trouble in uh, uh, Florida. Oz, who's running for the seat in Pennsylvania, does not look like he's doing too good. Herschel Walker doesn't look like he's going to regain Georgia's Senate seat. So I'm going to go on record early right now, okay? Democrats are going to retain Washington, Oregon, Colorado. I believe they're going to retain uh, California and Arizona. They're going to retain Illinois, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Maryland. And I believe that Fetterman is going to win in Pennsylvania. And then I believe the Democrats are going to flip Wisconsin, Florida, North Carolina, and possibly Ohio. Possibly. I think the the, the Democrats come out of this with um, 
52 to 54 Senate seats. Nowhere near enough to be a veto-proof majority, but a cushion nonetheless. A much-needed cushion as well. But while the candidates themselves that the Republicans are putting forward are a problem, the problem that we have, once again, is money. Money. See, because we now allow whatever the fuck we want when it comes to money in politics. The Supreme Court has said money in politics is free speech, constitutionally protected. And some of that shit can be a real fucking problem. I'm now going to read to you from ProPublica. An elderly, ultra-secretive Chicago businessman has given the largest known donation to a political advocacy group in U.S. history worth $1.6 billion, and the recipient is one of the prime architects of conservatives' efforts to reshape the American judicial system, including the Supreme Court. Through a series of opaque transactions, over the past two years, Barry Side, a 90-year-old manufacturing magnate, gave the massive sum to a nonprofit run by Leonard Leo, who co-chairs the conservative legal group, the Federalist Society. The donation was first reported by the New York Times on Monday, and The Lever, as well as ProPublica, have confirmed the information from documents received independently by those news organizations. ProPublica's reporting sheds additional light on how the two men, one a judicial kingmaker and the other a mysterious but prolific donor to conservative causes, came together to create a political war chest that will likely supercharge efforts to further shift American politics to the right. As President Donald Trump's advisor on judicial nominations, Leo helped build the Supreme Court's conservative supermajority, which recently eliminated constitutional protections for abortion rights and has made a series of sweeping pro-business decisions. Leo, a conservative Catholic, has both helped select judges to nominate to the Supreme Court and directed multi-million dollar media campaigns to confirm them. Leo derives immense political power through his ability to raise huge sums of money and distribute those funds through the conservative movement to influence elections, judicial appointments, and policy battles. Yet the biggest funders of Leo's operation have long been a mystery. Side, who led the surge protector, and data center equipment maker, Triplite, for more than a half of a century, has been almost unknown outside a small circle of political and cultural recipients. The gift immediately vaults him into the ranks of major funders like the Koch brothers and George Soros. In practical terms, there are few limitations on how Leo's new group, the Marble Freedom Trust, can spend the enormous donation. The structure of the donation allowed Side to avoid as much as $400 million in taxes. Thus, he maximized the amount of money at Leo's disposal. Now, Leo, at age 56, is positioned to financially, uh, to, is positioned to finance his already sprawling network with one of the largest pools of political capital in American history. Quote, to my knowledge, it is entirely without precedent for a political operative to be given control of such an astonishing amount of money, said Brendan Fisher, a campaign finance lawyer at the nonpartisan watchdog group Documented. Leonard Leo is already incredibly powerful, and now he's going to have over $1 billion at his disposal to continue upending our country's institutions, he said. In a statement to the Times, Leo said it was, quote, high time for conservative, uh, the conservative movement to be among the ranks of George Soros, Hensorge Weiss, Arabella Advisors, and other left-wing philanthropists going toe-to-toe in the fight to defend our Constitution and its ideals, end quote. Leo and representatives for side did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The Marble Freedom Trust is a so-called dark money group that is not required to publicly disclose its donors. 
It has wide latitude to spend uh, directly on elections, as well as on ideological projects, such as funding, uh, funding issue advocacy groups, think tanks, universities, religious institutions, and organizing efforts. The creators of the Marble Freedom Trust shrouded their pro uh, project in secrecy for more than two years. The group's name does not appear on any public database of business, tax, or securities records. The Marble Freedom Trust is organized for legal purposes as a trust rather than a corporation. That means it did not have to publicly disclose basic details like its name, directors, or address. The trust was formed in Utah. Its address is a house in North Salt Lake owned by Tyler Green, a lawyer who clerked for Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Green is listed in the trust's tax returns as an administrative trustee. The donation, oddly enough, does not appear to violate any laws. Side's $1.6 billion donation is a landmark in the era of deregulated political spending ushered in by the Supreme Court's 2010 Citizen, Citizens United decision. That case, along with subsequent changes and weak federal oversight, empowered a tiny group of super-rich in both parties to fund groups that can spend unlimited sums to support candidates and political causes. In the last decade, donations in the millions and sometimes tens of millions of dollars have become common. Individuals could give unlimited amounts of money to nonprofit groups prior to Citizens United, but the decision uh, allowed those nonprofits to more directly influence elections. A handful, of, a handful of billionaires, such as the Koch family and Soros, have spent billions to achieve political influence by bankrolling networks of non-profits. Even in this money-drenched world, Side's $1.6 billion gift exceeds all publicly known one-time donations to a politically oriented group. So now the Republicans are sitting on a war chest the likes of which they've never had before. They have a fresh 1.6 billion in operating capital on top of all the money they've already raised on top of all the money they already had 1.6 billion I'll say it again I am a firm believer that we need to get all of this big money out of politics we need to have individual donations only capped at $5,000 a piece. No super PACs, no multi-million dollar donations, no co uh, corporate or, or uh, uh, organizational donations of any way, uh, kind uh, and in any way, shape, or form. But until that happens, until we can actually change the laws, we need the mega rich on the left to step up. The right now has a fresh $1.6 billion war chest. It's time for Hollywood and professional athletes and musicians to step up, pool their resources, and match that. It's time for the Democratic uh, candidates to have a $1.6 billion war chest. Otherwise, the Republicans will control the narrative. They will control the conversation. And we will go into this midterm election continuing to elect the worst of the worst. You can see it in the manner uh, of, of, of people that the Republicans are electing and have elected. I'd like to give you a few examples now, if I could. People like Perry Hooper Jr., former Alabama legislator who served as co-chair of Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign in Alabama and who has been arrested and charged with first-degree sex abuse, police confirmed Wednesday. Now, we don't know what it is, but we just know what the charge is. First-degree sex abuse. The incident that Perry Hooper Jr. is charged with happened on August 16th in the 100 block of Commerce Street, 
which is the address of the Hampton Inn and Suites in Montgomery downtown. Hooper, 67, was arrested Tuesday, said Captain Saba Coleman, a spokeswoman for the Montgomery Police Department. He was booked into the Montgomery County Detention Facility, and his bond was set at $15,000. But there were no details as to what Hooper is alleged to have done posted on the jail's website. Hooper, who is a Republican, served in the Alabama House of Representatives from 1984 to 2003. He is the son of former Alabama Chief Justice Perry Hooper uh, Sr., who served from 1995 to 2001. Quote, The Alabama Republican Party strongly condemns all forms of sexual abuse and sexual assault. We are committed to personal rights and public safety. We will be monitoring this situation closely as it makes its way through the judicial process the state's GOP said in a statement released after Hooper's arrest. Let me read that first part to you guys again. The Alabama Republican Party strongly condemns all form of sexual abuse and sexual assault. I guess Roy Moore slipped their fucking mind, huh? And if he wasn't enough of a gem coming to us from the Republican Party, how about fine folks like former Tennessee's disgraced uh, former House Speaker Glenn Casada, who, along with his top aide, were arrested on Tuesday on federal charges, including bribery, kickbacks, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. Twenty-count charging document alleges Casada and Cothran, his aide, exploited their positions of power by working with one another uh, as well as an unnamed lawmaker to funnel money to themselves using a political consulting firm known as Phoenix Solutions to conceal their involvement. Cothran registered the firm in New Mexico because the state allows anonymous registrations of LLCs. This is what they do, folks. And don't get me wrong, they do it on both sides of the political aisle. On both sides of the political aisle. But one side has made a fucking art form out of it. They want to talk to you through that righteous indignation, through that holier-than-now attitude of theirs, while they're out there doing shit like this. And for good measure, let's just go ahead and throw in Luke Bowen from Texas who was also arrested this week. The political director of the group Texas Right to Life, who has been fighting tooth and nail to take away the rights of Texas women, was arrested this month in Conroe, Texas, for online solicitation of a minor. Another person who's politically influential. Texas Right to Life has poured nearly $200,000 into Republican politicians this election cycle alone. $20,000 to Brian Harrison, $17,000 to Caroline Harrison, $12,000 to Carrie Isaac. All while fighting the scourge of abortion. And here the director of that organization is popped for online solicitation of a minor. Well, I guess we know why he's against abortion now, don't we? So that he can continue to force women to have babies that he can sexually assault. You know, a lot of people on the left have a problem with my stance on the death penalty. But it's motherfuckers like this... It's the reason why that we need to continue to have a death penalty. This is just what we caught him doing, soliciting a minor online. How many kids has he actually gotten to? How many kids has he actually assaulted? How many kids actually went to go meet him at a 7-Eleven or a movie theater or God knows where? And he's done God knows what with them. This is why we need to continue to have a death penalty. There is no cure for this shit. There is no adequate punishment for this shit other than two to the back of the head. Tom, it's more expensive to keep them in prison for the rest of their life than it is to execute them. A, don't fucking care. And B, I'm not talking about executing them that way. I'm talking about taking them out behind the courthouse, putting them on his knees, and shooting them in the back of the fucking head twice. 
if found guilty, of course. There's your cure. There's your punishment. But Tom, if we chemically castrate them and then put a tracking device underneath their skin, we'll be able to monitor where they are at all times to ensure this never happens again. Yeah, you know what else helps keep track of them? Burials. You bury them under six feet of dirt, you know right where they are. You can even plant a nice little tree on top of them. Mark the spot for all time. That's just three that I pulled from the news from this week. That's just three. First degree sex abuse, 20 counts including bribery, kickbacks, and conspiracy to commit money laundering, and online solicitation of a minor. Just three random names pulled from the Republican Party this week. You need to remember that while both parties have their faults, while both parties have their corruption and their need to enrich themselves, one party is doing shit like this at an astronomical rate. We're just over two months away. You are going to hear me beat the fucking drum over the course of the next two months for Democratic president uh, candidates heading into this midterm. Because we cannot allow the other side to continue to allow people like this to get elected or influence our elections. These people are pure scum. And they're hypocrites. Once again, both parties have hypocrites. Both parties are hypocritical. But one side makes a fucking art form out of it. And you can tell that in this week's announcement of student loan uh, debt forgiveness. Unless you've been living under a rock, you have now heard that uh, the federal government will be relieving some student loan uh, debt for some students. So, what's going to happen? Bullet points on what was announced. If you make, as an individual, under $125,000 a year, or as a family, under $250,000 a year, the federal government is going to relieve $20,000 of your student loans if you had a Pell Grant when you took those loans, or $10,000 of your student loans if you didn't have a Pell Grant when you took those loans. Most people are going to see the $10,000 debt relief. 20 million people in this country have $10,000 or less in student loans, so they just saw their student loans go bye-bye. For people who are on the um, repayment, repayment plan that is tied to your income, it used to be capped at 10% of discretionary funds. That's going to go down to 5% of discretionary funds. Now, is all of that a good thing? Of course it is. You just completely eliminated the uh, student debt of over 20 million Americans, and you took $10,000 of student debt away from millions more. Of course that's a good thing. From our perspective, you took away a quarter of my wife's student loan debt. I'm not going to bitch and moan about $10,000 worth of debt being eradicated overnight. Surely not. But what did, it, what did it fix? It didn't fix anything long term, did it? And I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but let me spotlight some of this Republican hypocrisy first, if I could, please. 
What are you seeing left and right now? We're seeing, well, I can't believe we have to pay for these student loans now. If you took out a loan, God damn it, you pay it back. Be responsible. Shouldn't be my responsibility to now cover what you took out in loans. Well, where was all of this energy for the PPP loans that were wiped out? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Where were you screaming and complaining that Tom Brady should pay back the $960,855 of PPP loans he took out but got eradicated by the federal government? He doesn't have to pay a dime of that back. He got $960,000 of taxpayer money, and he doesn't have to give a dime of it back. Where was your energy for that? Republican voting base. Maybe you're not a Tom Brady fan. Maybe that one doesn't hit home for you. Maybe you're a religious person. How about Joel Olstein? $4.4 million in PPP loans. He's not having to pay a dime of that back. It's been eradicated. Joel Olstein, multi-million dollar non-taxpayer, got $4.4 million of our taxpayer funds, doesn't have to pay a dime of it back. Where was your outrage for that? Maybe you just don't like Joel Olstein himself. You're still religious. You're still a, a, a faithful uh, a, a religious person, but Joel Olstein just rubs you wrong. How about the Catholic Church in general? $3.5 billion. That's with a B. Boy. Boy. Billion. $3.5 billion in PPP loans. Wiped clean. That's $3.5 billion you and I have to cover. That the Catholic fucking church doesn't have to pay back. Where was your outrage for that, Republican voting bloc? But you know what? Maybe you're not a Catholic. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a Tom Brady fan. Maybe you're not a football fan or religious in any way, shape, or form. And none of those examples you give a fuck about. How about Marjorie Taylor Greene? Marjorie Taylor Greene received $183,504 in PPP loans. That loan has been wiped clean. Marjorie Taylor Greene, a sitting member of Congress, got away tax-free and repayment-free with $183,000 of our tax, uh, our, our tax revenue. Our money. You and me. How about Lauren Boebert? $233,305 in PPP loans. Wiped clean. Where was your fucking outrage for that? And then, of course, the pinnacle of hypocrisy when it comes to this whole thing. Donald Trump Jr., let me read you three tweets that Donald Trump Jr. offered up in the wake of the announcement of the $10,000 in uh, federal loan, uh, uh, federal debt relief. First tweet came in saying this, Canceling student debt is a tax on the most responsible people in the country. Forcing people who worked hard to repay their loans or those who didn't have the luxury of going to college to subsidize people who wasted money on worthless gender study degrees is a slap in the face. Yes, Donald Trump talking about people who didn't have the luxury of going to college and worthless degrees. His second tweet in response says, Why is there so much student debt? Because left-wing universities keep on raising tuition while graduating kids with worthless degrees. That's why any solution to student debt that doesn't touch the billions of dollars sitting in the university endowments is an absolute scam because leave it to a trumper to go after somebody else's money. Oh, universities have endowments from uh, private donors? Yeah, we want a piece of that too. While we're going to bitch and moan about other kids, uh, other people offering up worthless degrees. And then, of course, this uh, third tweet. If college wasn't such a scam 
and you actually graduated with a useful degree, the government wouldn't have to forgive student loans. I guess this numbnuts forgets that uh, he was part of a $25 million settlement for Trump University because they were caught offering up useless fucking degrees by scamming people in their education. But I go back to my original question here. While the $10,000 of debt relief is good, and I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Mouth, You want to take $10,000 off the top of our debt? Do it. Gladly. What did it fix? Did it fix the, the next group of students coming out of high school that are getting ready to go into a lifetime worth of debt? No, it didn't do a fucking thing for them. Now, I'm recording this podcast at, right now it's 12.08 p.m. on Thursday, August 25th. Something might have been announced later on today that I didn't have a chance to talk about before you hear this tomorrow on Friday, August 26th. But as of right now, this doesn't do shit for the next generation. Doesn't do a fucking thing. A year from now, our daughter is going to be moving into her first college dorm with a fuck ton of crushing college student loan debt. This does nothing to fix that. So here's my proposal instead. And I'm no politician. I don't have an elected office. And I don't plan on running for one anytime soon. So any other politician out there wants to take this proposal and run with it and say it's yours, knock your socks off. Just make it happen, please. Instead of eradicating a dollar amount of anybody's debt, instead of saying we're going to give you $10,000 off the top, make it a percentage. 10%, whatever the number is, we're going to eliminate this percentage of everybody's loan. And we're going to do away with all of the interest. That would be a bigger solution for the existing debt holders. Eliminate a percentage of their debt. Eliminate their interest. Allow them to rework the loan to get a new payment plan in place without any of that interest. There's your solution for the existing debt holders. For the future debt holders, a couple of things. One, stop tacking debt or uh, uh, interest onto, did I say debt or interest? Eliminate the interest, not the debt. My apology. If I said eliminate the debt, I meant to say eliminate the interest. For the future uh, 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 student loan uh, takers, do it interest-free. Give them student loans interest-free. You borrow 10000 you owe 10000 I got no problem with people making money off of lending you uh, money for a car, for a house. If you need to borrow money to have uh, home repairs done, I got no problem with any of that. I'm a capitalist. I think it's moronic that people are out there making money off of educating the future workforce that we all need to keep society going. The kids who we're telling need to go into tens of thousands of dollars worth of crushing lifetime debt are the ones that are going to be making our laws someday. Wouldn't it behoove us all to have a highly educated future workforce that isn't being dragged down by crushing debt? Look at the millennials right now, by the way. The millennials and the next generation coming up after the millennials. They're not having kids in the same numbers because of the debt that they carry. So eliminate that debt. Give student loans moving forward without the interest, not the debt. Eliminate the interest. I keep saying debt. I apologize. I'm 44, 45 minutes into this. We're not going to start over again. I meant to say eliminate the interest. Moving forward, offer student loans without the interest. 
Another thing that could help solve the problem, extend our public education. We publicly fund education K through 12. Add two years onto that. Stop making 12th grade the end of our public education. Add two years onto that. What I would like to see is an extension of publicly funded education for two additional years beyond 12th grade where the graduates of high school then get to choose whether or not they're going to spend those two years at their local community college getting an associate's degree uh, towards the field that they're eventually going to go uh, and get a bachelor's degree on, or they go into publicly funded trade schools for, for being a plumber, an electrician, a carpenter, a mechanic, a welder, whatever the case may be, before they maybe go on to apprentice with some union somewhere. If we expand publicly funded uh, education two years beyond 12th grade and we publicly fund uh, associate's degrees out of community colleges or two years worth of trade school in the trade uh, of your choice, then the people who are going to go on and go to college after that for a bachelor's degree are only looking at taking on two years worth of debt if a bachelor's degree is all they want. And we could give them two years worth of student loans, interest-free, and they could finish their education, their college education, with drastically less debt. And we would have more members of our future workforce properly educated. Furthermore, if it's somebody that took the two-year path into the public trades, what we would be doing is we would be ensuring that the trades that every society needs is as well-trained as we could possibly get them. Remember, folks, not everybody gets the corner office. Not everybody gets to put on a suit and tie and drive the Porsche to the office and sit at the desk all day long. Somebody's got to work in the office building. Somebody has to build the office building. Doctors get to work in the hospital, but somebody's got to build the hospital. Lawyers get to argue in the courthouse, but somebody's got to build the courthouse. We need both. We need well-educated people who are going to be white-collar and work inside buildings while sitting at desks, and we need well-educated and well-trained blue-collar workers who are going to build the structures that we need. Expand public education two more years. Publicly fund public education for two more years and give these kids the choice of going to a community college or to a trade school. And I guarantee you, you will see a massive rise in this country. The floor will rise. And for the love of Christ... And I know I'm an atheist, it's just a saying, calm the fuck down. Stop saddling our kids with this kind of debt. Okay, You're talking to somebody who is now actively engaged in looking at how much colleges cost. I got one in community college that's costing me a few thousand dollars a year. I'm dipping into the savings every year to pay for her college. And I'm happy to do it because we got the money. And if it means she comes out of her public education debt-free and can go off and have a good career, then God damn it, we did better by her than was done by us. But my next daughter in line, there's no fucking way we could pay for it. I mean, we can by making monthly payments for the rest of our fucking lives, but she's going to go into debt to the tune of a quarter of a million dollars. She wants to be a neurosurgeon. She's looking at four years of undergraduate work, most likely now at UIC, and then four years of medical school, hopefully at UIC, if that's where she ultimately decides to go. She's going to be in debt up to her fucking eyeballs. 
And at the end of the day, her mother and I, my wife and I, will be here for her the way we're here for Maggie. And the way we're going to be here for Tommy. And she needs help. We're going to be here to help her. But that's insane. It's insane that you have to go into debt to the tune of maybe a quarter of a million dollars before you have a fucking job. Now, granted, if she fulfills her college education and ultimately becomes what she wants to be, a neurosurgeon, she's going to make the kind of money it's going to take to pay back that loan. And we will talk to her about how to properly uh, format herself to pay back that loan as quickly as humanly possible. But it's still insane that she's got to go into that kind of debt. Now, she's got four years of undergraduate. My hope is, is that in four years' time, we've got 20 to 25 trucks on the road. If that is the case, and then we continue to add trucks every year, which is the plan between us and our partners, then we might be in a position to really be able to help her even more as she goes into her medical school, uh, a portion of her education. And if we can, then I'm sure that my wife and I are going to sit down and go, hey, listen, let's throw 100000 at this. Or whatever the case may be. Let's let's help her out. She graduated medical school. Let's help her out by by paying fifty grand of her debt off the top, or something of that nature, seventy five grand, hundred grand, whatever the fucking case may be. Hopefully, she goes to work somewhere that helps pay off those student loans. And if we are in that position by the time she hits medical school, then the boy is going to be in the catbird seat. Because by the time he decides what he wants to do with his life and gets ready to go off to college, we should be able to afford wherever the fuck he wants to go. Just write a check for it. Don't even take the student loans. Fuck the interest rates. But it's still fucking nuts. It still costs way too much money to get these higher educations. Once again, our 21-year-old is going to Joliet Junior College. She's taking general uh, general education classes, the shit that you have to take to get out of the way, as well as some courses that pertain directly to the nursing program. But every time she takes a series of courses, costs me another 2500 bucks. Doing that a couple of times a year, four, five, six grand a year, boom, 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 boom. At least that's fucking doable. UIC Medical? That's not doable for anybody. We need to bring the cost of college education down so that it's more doable for more people and more people can expand their horizons by potentially going to college. And not everybody is going to go to college. Once again, people, we need plumbers. We need uh, uh, bricklayers. We need electricians. We need carpenters. We need landscapers. We need tradespeople too. But when it comes to college specifically, it's out of control. And you don't even want to sit down and do the math on $200,000, worth of student loans, what you will ultimately end up paying if you just pay normal amounts and, and, and have a loan the rest of your life. You don't even want to fucking do the math. It'll make you throw up. So let's stop with the Band-Aid cures. Let's stop putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg. And let's deal with the problem, the cost of education, and the predatory nature in which we cause the kids of this country to go into debt. That's what we need to be focusing on. Not eliminating existing debt. Once again, I'm grateful that $10,000 got taken off the top this week. 
Anybody else want to take ten grand off of something else? I got three fucking Jeeps sitting in the driveway, all of them with payments on them. Anybody want to take ten grand off of that collectively? About ten grand off the house. I'm not going to bitch about it, but it doesn't fix the problems. And this ten grand doesn't fix the problem that the future college students are still going to incur. I have a legitimate headache. My blood pressure has been through the roof all week. I've been dealing with this truck scenario. It's been driving me absolutely batshit fucking crazy. And now I just got a job. Eh, Look at this. Kimball Group sending me an email. Has an immediate opening for planning slash urban design project manager in our Chicago, Illinois location. Pass. Although maybe I should take it and let my wife retire. But that's why we're doing the truck thing. Hopefully the truck gets back on the road this week. Uh, As I said, I'm recording this on Thursday, the 25th of August. I have been told I am keeping my fingers crossed and knocking knocking on all wood that we can pick up the truck Uh, Today, the 26th, and I am hoping that that's the fucking case. Been down for almost three months. Three months. Unfucking believable when you stop and think about it. We're upwards of $60,000 worth of lost revenue. In three months. I'm going to stop talking about it because it's just going to piss me off. And it's going to cause me to reach for the doobie early. And it's, it's, it's midday. I don't need to be reaching for the doobie early. And that's another thing, if I could please, real quickly, at the end of this podcast. Can I just briefly, wherever you saw this podcast, I want you to go back and I want you to answer the following question for me. If you, if you saw a link for it on TikTok, or you saw a link for it on Twitter, or Instagram, or Facebook, whatever the fucking case may be, or just go to my website, uh, oldhippymedia.com, go to the last page, and, su- and submit an email. I want to ask you guys a question. When you hear the term... Midday. What do you think of? Because you see, for me, I think of noon. That's midday. That's when you're halfway through your work day and you eat your lunch. It's also, if you think of a midnight to midnight 24-hour period, it's the middle portion of the day. But my wife... When she hears midday, she thinks of like four, five, six o'clock. That you're that at that point in time, you're halfway through your waking day from when you woke up to when you go to bed. In my world, four, five, six p.m. That's evening. Everything from the time you wake up to noon is morning. You either have morning or late morning, but you have morning. Then you have midday, noon. Starting at 1 o'clock, you have afternoon. Starting at 4 or 5, now, 5 or 6 o'clock, you have evening. Starting at 8 or 9 o'clock, you have nighttime. Yes, I'm rather animated about this because it gives me something else to yell about that isn't going to give me agita. And I want to hear from all of you. What do you view as midday? Go back to whatever social media platform you found the link for this podcast on and tell me what you believe is midday. It'll A, answer the question. B, it'll help me prove my wife wrong, which is a huge win for me whenever I can get it because they don't happen very often. And it will uh, prove to me who actually listens to the entirety of these podcasts. All right, folks. That's all I got for you this week. Tune in next week for a whole new episode. Uh, 
And uh, once again, thank you for tuning in. And as always, until next week, stay grateful. <laughs>